Welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast, brought to you by the Northern Tablelands Local Land Services. This is your podcast for production and management decisions and issues relevant to the Northern Tablelands region. We are going to be chatting with different members of industry to gain their insight and opinion on some of the different aspects of production. I'm your host today, Max Newsom, one of the livestock officers based at Glen Innes, servicing the Northern Tablelands. Please note the disclaimer in the show notes as some of the issues and content discussed on this podcast may not be applicable to every farm enterprise and hosts and guests within this podcast are not liable. Today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Nigel Brown, District Veterinarian based at Glen Innes. Nigel has worked in over 30 different countries from mixed practices through to working for MLA as the Livestock Service Manager. Nigel decided that the Northern Tableland is the pick of all these different places and has now been working for the Northern Tablelands Local Land Services for the past five years. Welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed, Max. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming along. So you've worked in over 30 different countries. You've got a very vast background in animals and production. What made you choose the Northern Tablelands as the place you want to be? In a nutshell, um, my wife comes from just outside Yarrowich. Um, her mum was in a home, sadly has died in uh, in uh, Armidale, and we decided to come back home as our grandchildren were getting older. And what a place to live. We love it. So we're going to be chatting to you today about um, some animal health issues that are, we're currently experiencing and that we might be experiencing in the coming months. So we'll start off with sheep. What are some of the animal health issues you've been seeing across the region? The last couple of weeks I've been seeing stuff like clostridial problems with uh, animals dying suddenly, finding sudden death. We've still been getting a lot of nutritional problems with uh, feeding issues as people uh, are not getting enough uh, feed still from pastures. Still been getting the last vestiges of um, water belly type problems. Uh, in one or two specialist enterprise, but those are the main sorts of things that I've been seeing. Yep, and what are some of the issues you suspect will be arising in the coming months? Look, I think nutritional aspects will still main, will still come to be big problems. Um, the whole there's a lot of change going to go through this rapidly growing grass is going to lead us through to things like magnesium problems grass staggers um, and we're seeing a few of those but I think that's still a, a major risk I think we're also going to see more clostridia uh, the room is going to take a while to settle down whenever you change the feed stuff and as people gradually move off the, the, the stuff that they're feeding that they bought in and then onto pasture you can't do it suddenly because otherwise you're going to mess up that room in function and then you're going to run into problems yeah. so for the people i've been talking to it's important to manage them in a similar process how we manage them onto our grains and our feeding program we need to gradually manage them off and give that room and time to develop it, it, exactly uh, 
it takes about 10 to 14 days for a rumen to readjust all those microbes that are swimming around in the rumen fluid they they've got to breed up breed down because they all have a subtly different role in breaking down the feed stuff so whenever you change the food you've got to change slowly don't just suddenly change day one from eating green uh, dry food to putting them out onto that bit of green pasture that you've been watching grow take it gradually yep you mentioned earlier magnesium deficiencies you've been seeing a little bit of that we have, we have. Um, that's basically, there's several things that can be difficult to diagnose around that whole business because often they cause sudden death. And so one minute the animal's alive, the next is dead. Magnesium, there's usually plenty of magnesium in the body uh, because it's in bones and teeth and stuff like that. Where it's not is in the blood. And the main function of magnesium that we're talking about with grass staggers is its activity in nerves and how nerves work. And if there's not enough magnesium in the blood, then the nerves don't calm down. So the impulse fires the nerve, but there's no damping down mechanism without magnesium. So if you put an animal onto a diet that is low in magnesium, such as rapidly growing green grass, mm -hmm. there's no, not enough magnesium in the food to keep the blood level high enough. Therefore, it takes time to get it out of the reserves in the bone, especially the older the animal gets, the more difficult it is to get it out of the bones. So that's when the animal's gonna start getting very nervy uh, and then they'll go into the twitching phase, twitch, 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 twitch. They'll collapse to the ground, then they'll die. So for that can happen very, very quickly. So for a lot of producers, the only time they see the animal is when it's dead. And that's why it's so important to investigate your sudden death. That's why it's so important to investigate it. We can collect samples, say from the eyeball, that identify what the magnesium status of the animal was at point of death, because it lasts longer. the blood clots and we can't get the measure from that. But even more important than that is prevention. That's right. And that's the critical thing. That's what we're always pushing. We want to see prevention and not have to be doing treatment. Absolutely. So the moment you've lost an animal, all its production is gone. You've lost that money. That, that money. It's not the end of the road because that's where veterinary diagnosis comes in. You can still get benefit from it by opening it up and having a little look. And I personally encourage producers to, to get to know what a normal animal looks like, which they do when they cut it up, up as a killer for eating. They know what a normal, then if there's anything abnormal, they may not know what it is, but most phones have got a, a camera on. You can take a picture. I get an increasing number of photographs sent through to me. Any idea what this is? So then I can say, well, it's such and such because it's obvious. That's what that abnormality means. Or I can say, that's all looking pretty normal to me. Therefore, we're talking about a subtle change, which could be something like grass legs. So you're saying grass staggers, some producers around the Northern Tablelands might know it as well as grass tetany? Grass tetany, grass yep. staggers. 
hypermagnesemia, there's all sorts of names uh, yeah. that it goes by. Depends whether you're talking to somebody or whether you're looking it up in the, in the textbook. That's right. So I'm all about prevention. Yep. What do you recommend preventing grass so, tetany? So I'm a great believer in using simple salts rather than, uh, in general, the, the composite blocks. I find them a much more expensive way of doing it. I like... Cosmac as a simple magnesium oxide salt. Yes. It's got very, very good, well, it's only about 50%, but it's about the best of the magnesium salts for absorption into the body. It's a bit bitter, so they really don't eat it for eating its sake, but they eat it when they need it. If it's their ad lib, put then they can go to it if they want to. If you've got them in a paddock and suddenly it starts going away, suddenly they'll start hoeing into the magnesium salt that's in a, in a tray. So the moment you keep your eye on that, every time you go into the paddock and have a look, see whether they suddenly started hitting the cosmag, then you know there's a sudden demand, then you can put out more troughs. And you said we have salt in with that Cosmag as the attractant. Okay, so the salt by itself, good old sodium chloride we sprinkle on our own fish and chips or whatever, is, is essential, I believe, 365 days of the year for all grazing stock because it doesn't get enough coming through from the pasture. So I believe that should be out. But you're right in saying about attractant because... If it's not in the diet, a lot of animals chunter along with a deficit of salt. So you put out a lick, whatever brand, if it's a composite lick, they, these animals will hoe into it for 10 days or so just for the salt. Yep. So they'll be eating all these other expensive minerals that they probably don't need. They'll just be getting coming out in the urine, let's not get impolite in this, but they'll be coming out in the urine onto the ground and it's wasted. But if you put out the salt, just in the salt block or salt crystals every day of the year, you won't get that urge amongst these animals to catch up with the salt deficit. So if you're going to be using a mixture of Cosmag and salt, you can put those in in equal parts. Yep. The animals are going to be taking both in, and you can put those in the same in the same trough. Yep. I know through the winter when we were feeding heavily our cereal grain diets, we were doing the third, third, third ration and getting using some ag lime in that to get some calcium in the these diets. Yep. So we can trans as we're transitioning off the grain, we can transition the calcium out of these rations and make sure we're putting cosmag in the magnesium oxide. Yes. There is a mechanism uh, in animals to get the calcium out of the bones. So you don't want to be feeding lime all year round because that, again, creates potential problems with the internal body's mechanism. So you've got to look and say, well, when do we need to give uh, lime? That's when the diet is deficient in calcium the situation you describe. The other one that we, where it's important is where in late pregnancy and early growth of, of lambs, where they're growing new bone at a rate of knots. So the demand 
in the metabolism for calcium is very high. Excuse me. So that's where you have to make certain that you allow the animals access. One of the problems of trying to formulate a ration is trying to get everything just right in the proportions that they need. And that's why I, I personally like, and it's in lots of ways it's more work, but why I like to give them free access so they can take what they want at, they're not forced to eat stuff because then we run into problems. And, and one of the problems I mentioned that we've had is water belly, and that is because of an imbalance of the various minerals like your magnesiums yes. and your, your calciums that have led to crystals of those salts forming in the kidneys or the bladder and then leading on to the gut. And you talked about the importance of keeping salt out to some extent all year round. Keeping salt out near your water helps them drink more and flush those kidney stones and out. Yes. So the essence of most of the kidney stone problems that we've had is that the animals have either been gorging inappropriately on food, not getting enough water, possibly because the water's been just dirty, muddy, damn water. So they think, well, I'm not going to drink that, you know. Uh, Or that they've moved on to bore water that has had higher salt levels in it. And, And so there's nowhere for that stuff to be flushed out. And that's why it's important, again, to look at your measured parameters. So what is the analysis of the food that you're putting in? What is the analysis of the water that's going in? And that's why to be a productive producer, you've got to know your basic parameters. That's right. And to help understand those parameters at the moment, the LLS is offering free feed and water testing. So your cell form myself or one of the other livestock officers if you're going out and testing these feeds and waters don't be afraid to come out and get these results and have a chat to one of us and we can help you through these processes that's right it's not rocket science to be able to get the samples taken we don't necessarily need to visit to collect the sample we help package it up you can pick up the pots and the bags that for testing you know Anybody can dump the pot into the water and collect a sample. You've got to fill in the form and that's where the difficulties start. But yes, you're right. At the moment, we're able to deliver that as a free service for people because of the problems and the flow-on effects from having incorrect ingredients. What else do you suspect we'll see in the coming months? I have a horrible worry about football. Um, and Yonis disease. Uh, I'm getting, we're getting inquiries from people wanting to source animals from further afield. They're wanting to think about getting some sheep on now so they can get the cash flow going again. And I had several people ask, should I get my animals from here or here? They run the risk of bringing in, in apparently normal animals 
either or both of those diseases in my opinion um, as you know this area New England is re- yeah. pretty much free of, of, of foot rot and OJD there, there are the odd cases that are of both um, and we believe that those are both oh, those have all come in with imported stock from outside our region I think it's important to to bear that in mind when you're sourcing animals we will be doing foot rot surveys again in the future but foot rot you can bring in and it can survive the germ can survive in the hoof of a normal sheep um, and when the conditions warm and moist are around then it can explode out and in certain areas of the the state um, they know foot rot as scold because they say it's a very mild form and that's what we find with that germ is that there's a range of different nasty levels of nastiness in the germ for want of a phrase so there's the really really bad virulent foot rot and then gradually there's something like 60 if i remember correctly different types coming down to a very mild scold and in dry conditions that scold will not be seen in any way, shape or form as lameness. But when it gets back up here, we've got moisture in the ground, warmth, it could really deteriorate very, very quickly. So, so while I don't want to see it, I suspect I might. Uh, and I would, if I may, just urge anybody who who's worried about lame sheep, whether it's their own at home or bought in, give us a quiet ring on in confidence and we come out and have a look and inspect them. And, and it's a downside better to do it that way than to let it go on and on and to, to really get a big problem. So, Nigel, you mentioned Yoni's disease and the potential for that to be coming in with imported stock. For various technical reasons, we now just refer to Yoni's disease because sheep can be affected by cattle Yoni's and cattle can be affected by what used to be the sheep strain. So we now talk about the same thing, Yoni's disease. But essentially, practical terms, we generally worry about bringing in um, sheep, uh, a, a Yoni's disease in sheep comes in with sheep. There are beef cattle with Yoni's disease, but not so many as there are dairy cattle or dairy-born cattle. Um, so they could be crossbreds, but they're born, they get the infection uh, in the early days of life. That's when the infection occurs. And then sheep, we're going to see it sort of a few months, a year later, uh, they start spewing out the germ onto the ground. Cattle is going to be just under two years of age when they start spewing that germ out onto the ground. So then your pasture becomes contaminated. So I really worry about that um, with with sheep being brought in, lambs, weaners that are infected. If they stay too long, they're going to start spewing on, uh, the germ onto the ground. So we'll just touch on Yoni's disease and how it impacts the stock. So it causes a thickening of the wall of the small intestine, which reduces nutrient absorption and causes a decrease of production. Yes, I think that's what you you, you said. It makes the wall of the small intestine thicker. 
So the germ which is living in that thickened bowel is then discharged into the gut and it comes out into the feces. The thickened bowel, and it, it, it is so obvious that you, anybody opening one up can see it, is that the, the hole down the middle of the tube of the gut is thinner. And they can't absorb the goodness from it. It spreads primarily from that junction between the small intestine and the large intestine and spreads primarily upwards, but you can see it backwards into the large intestine as well. So it's not absorbing the goodness. So the animals will get thinner as they start using their body reserves as it worsens. The rate of it getting worse varies a lot depending on a range of factors, uh, minerals in the soil and all this sort of thing, uh, and the quality of the food. Um, but the, the problem with those animals is that yes, they are less and less productive, so it's not a disease that you want because you're feeding them, but they're just getting thinner. They're contaminating the environment and that will last, the germs will last on there for a couple of years. The, the pellets can spread to neighbors. So the neighbors just down the stream a bit or something like that could inadvertently go down with it. Um, but at the end of the day, whether it's cattle or sheep, you're having to cull animals younger than you might want to. We used to get a lot of it when I was growing up in Berkshire in dairy cattle, and we'd have to get rid of animals long before the end of their productive life because they were going down with this. So people buying in stock at the moment, yep. how do you recommend they reduce or mitigate the chances of them bringing in ovine, you know, uh, Yoni's disease, sorry, and foot rot? So you have to ask the, the current owner specifically about whether he's uh, vaccinating animals for Yoni's disease, for instance, whether they're, what their status is with regard to foot rot. Uh, some people are vaccinating against Yoni's disease because they know that buyers will only buy from them because their animals are vaccinated. Others are vaccinated, vaccinating routinely because they have the disease and it's to reduce the losses. This vaccine, unlike a lot of other vaccines, is not 100%. It doesn't prevent the animals from getting the disease. It just slows down, reduces the production of the germs. So they still tend to have the disease, but they're just not producing so much that's coming out in the, in the, in the pellets or the dung. So you, from both of those, you've got to ask the individual why. Uh, their vaccine, if they say they're vaccinated, is this because, because you have you believe you might have the germ or is it as a prevention? If you don't ask the questions, you're not going to get the answer that you need to be, be able to make a risk-based analysis. So we'll move on to our news at the moment. We're leading into joining. Is there anything animal health-wise we should be looking at for our flocks? Yes, I think we need to be looking at aspects such as uh, levels of selenium, selenium supplementation. 
Selenium is deficient in pretty much the whole of this area. Uh, selenium is very important um, as a trace element for um, reproductive parameters, for growth, excuse me, and for fertility. Are both male and female fertility so we need to be looking and saying well what where does that fit in with our our program to maximize our, our productivity so it's been so dry for so long now and producers may have taken their finger off the pulse somewhat with worms yep. how is it how important is it for producers at the moment to bring back worm egg counting into their daily management practices? I think it's really very important indeed um, because they need worm eggs to develop, need warmth and they need moisture. We now have both of those, although it's a bit parky today, but there's still enough warmth down there on the ground to, to reach the, the, the essence. So if we've got that, the whole life cycle from an egg to hatch develop in the gut and be laying an egg again is going to be something like about 20-21 days for your barber's pole um, and they're all pretty much the same those ones so it really is now a critical so if you're testing once a month if you start off with a borderline level of, 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 of an egg count so let's, let's say a 400 egg per gram in a whole month there's a life cycle and a half gone through, and we know the vast numbers of eggs that Emonchus Barber's Pole produces. We could be going from 400 to umpteen thousand in that length of time because there's all this environment heaving with 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 ship shit that's got full of eggs that are just waiting to explode because the window of opportunity for them is getting smaller. And by the time you're seeing those signs of worms in your sheep, you already lost production. So it's important to worm egg count and jump on that and treat early. It, it is. Look, it, it's a whole storyline with regard to how you should treat sheep, uh, especially with with roundworms. There's, we know there's barbavax to prevent the, the production, but do we treat every animal in the flock at every time we find a, a critical 500 eggs per gram or do we not the drenches that we've got available are becoming less and less effective uh, it's a it's a factor of of the way that the worms can develop resistance to them so there it, there is no doubt that these drenches are becoming less and less efficient there's no doubt in my mind that the mechanisms to develop new drenches are very very slow and so the two are working across purposes so years ago, there was a, a proposal that you should be thinking about um, examining animals and only treating those that are showing um, problems. And then that way you're using less drug. There's still a lot to be said for that mechanism, but, and here's the big thing, it is more time consuming because you've got to get the animals in, yeah. you've got to look at them and see whether they're the weak or whether they're a bit paler in the gums. Whereas it's 
relatively straightforward to just run through boom 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 and in dose everything. It's a really interesting subject um, and, and yet I, it's very difficult for me to give a single answer that's going to suit all, all, all our listeners. But we do encourage producers to be strategic with their worm egg counting and testing and treatment. Yes, I personally am a great believer. I think if it's very easy. I teach people how to use and count worm eggs here in, in Glen Innes. I know my colleagues elsewhere do the same. It's very easy to do it yourself. It costs you very little. It costs about 250 bucks for a microscope, 60 bucks for a, a, a slide, and then a little bit of salt water. Um, it's very easy to do, and that means you can get your mob in, collect samples, test the samples, middle of the morning, smoko time, and then you can come back, either let them out or do whatever treatment. So it's so much easier than sending the samples away, letting them go, bringing them back in when you get the results. So moving on from sheep and worms at the moment, what have you been seeing in cattle of late? Pretty much the same sort of thing. Um, we've had, I've seen uh, some abortions, I've seen some lame cattle, uh, we've seen some magnesium problems, uh, we've seen clostridial problems, sudden death. I don't, I, I did see one, uh, and I thought I would see more with bloat, a cow that, that blew up. Uh, again, that same issue of sudden death, what was causing it. Um, but when I did the post-mortem, the, the, you know, I had some the owner with me and I, I said, can you, we basically could clearly see what they call a bloat line, which is a mark in the uh, carcass, which confirms the presence of bloat before death not as opposed to just blowing up afterwards. Um, so we've seen that one. I suppose, I, I think the, um, the, the um, grass staggers is gonna be around for a while yet. Clostridia certainly is as we get a lot of rich food going into rapidly growing animals. So repeated vaccinations is really important. In general, I'm a believer in um, in three monthly uh, clostridial booster vaccinations at this time of year for the gut active clostridium. Um, and then I suppose the other thing that I'm suspecting uh, that we might see could be various poisonings with strange plants appearing. Um, I'm seeing a lot more castor bean um, plant around. Um, the seeds of that contain ricin. Ricin is one of the most potent uh, poisons out there. Um, and that's the one the Russians used to kill their spies with or the other people's spies with. They did it in London with a needle. I remember back in London and they jagged the needle into the into the spy um, off the end of an umbrella. Georgi Markov, it was, he was a Bulgarian. But that's by the by. Um, <laughs> But it's poisonous, and and so I suspect that we might see some death caused by that. If it, and it's most mostly the seed that's the issue. So if you've got any weed species popping up that you're not too sure about, we do have a team of agronomists. Yep. 
Give them a call, snap a picture, send it to them if they need to investigate further, they'll look into it. And if you have any suspicious deaths, like we mentioned earlier, give one of the district vets a call, they'll pop out and have a look. That's right. I I mean, we get some of these where, where, uh, in fact, just the history alone is enough to indicate probable cause. it oftentimes you do poisonous plants it's it's easy to say and if you can't find anything else you put it down to a snake bite or a poisonous plant yeah. but it doesn't mean to say that snake bites and poisonous plants don't cause a problem but you've got to look for other things because they're not all that common at the end of the day in, yeah. in my opinion it's like we've had quite a few people that said oh lightning strike you know and sure we've had lightning but has it killed these animals? I don't know. I, I suspect not in lots of the cases, but it can and does occur. Um, so I think that's that's something. Castor oil is one that, that does worry me because to say I've seen more and talking to people who've lived around here, they say they've never, all their life, they say never seen as many as, as that. And the other strange thing is that when you bring animals into an area from another area, they don't know what local plants we've got. And so they will potentially eat poisonous plants that they wouldn't eat because they don't recognize them at home. So that's something that that potentially could occur as well. You touched on magnesium deficiency and possibly occurring in our herds. We're looking at supplementing them the same way, ad-lib, loose licks with your cause mag like we were doing with our sheep. Yes, we are. Say, there are commercial licks with high magnesium in, specifically for that one. Some people prefer to go down that way. And I'm, I'd much rather that they went that way than that they did nothing at all. Um, but if they've not been giving salt, then uh, and the animals suddenly get one of these licks they'll hoe into it for the salt much more than they will the magnesium um, and so you just got to watch it but in, in the UK we grew up with licks and we'd have troughs with a, a lid on because it was always raining and you'd watch each day but we were on a dairy farm but you'd watch and see whether they'd gone for any of the licks because you knew that was the, the way but magnesium we, we drench with magnesium oxide um, when I was a little lad and then we developed a, um, a magnesium bolus that went in and was dissolving a little bit every day I think they went into adding magnesium into the water troughs the reticulated water so there's all these different techniques but for extensive grazing beef grazing sheep grazing yeah. so cows are going to be brought into the yards in the next little bit, if not already happening, yep. for pre-testing for our spring carvers. Is there anything in particular animal health-wise we should be doing with these cows whilst they're in the yards? I think we need to be looking at where that sits within other processes such as selenium, uh, clostridial vaccination, etc. And this is where we want to minimise the handling of these animals so that they're not being handled unnecessarily. I'm not a great one for doing too many vaccinations all at one go because I think the body responds better to two different things. But there's there's no point in getting them in today and then getting them in next week for something that's totally unrelated. Yeah. So I think it's part and parcel of your program to look at. 
and I know all the vets here are more than happy to 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 help people be proactive in what they want to do and work it out. Have you been seeing much buffalo fly? I know we're having a latest later start to hopefully a season we've had a dry summer and a dry spring but the onset of buffalo fly have been later they're starting to enter a few of our herds particularly towards the great divide and the east yeah i haven't i myself haven't but like you i've been talking to people that are saying these sorts of things i'm also hearing and again i haven't seen but i'm also a bit suspicious of uh the the little flying insects that bring in three days sickness and stuff like that that the winds that we've got that are one way one minute another way another and all that weather coming down from the north today as we're speaking here on what will be february the 5th sixth or whatever it is but there's all that rain that's going to be bringing insects down that are going to be bringing these in um so this is what happens every few years we get a a major surge you'll have some animals that have never met up with the uh, the the viruses before they're going to be fully susceptible because their mums didn't meet any they're going to go down Have you seen any three-day sickness around yet? I was talking to somebody middle of last week and what she described in her young stock was three-day sickness. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, it uh, it was three days sickness that they were they were down. No 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 losses, but they were showing all the classic signs and they were up again. Yep. So we do have to keep that in in our mind yep. moving forward. Yeah. So that brings us to time today, Nigel. We'll just do a bit of a summary of the things we chatted about today. So we started by talking about the importance of magnesium and getting that into our diet to reduce the chances of grass tetany. We also talked about the importance of getting the background information from the stock you're looking at buying, particularly if you're looking at buying from stock from out of the region. We talked about worm egg testing and the need to be doing that again and keeping your clostridial vaccination up to date, so whether that be your five in one or seven in one. Anything you'd want to add to that summary? Look, I think the other critical one that I, I we can't overdo is the is the fact that the rumen takes ten to fourteen days to adjust to any change of feed. So whether, as you say, it's it's going um, onto dry feed or concentrated feed or on from dry feed onto green feed, or if we're adding supplement to finish stock off. Don't change suddenly because that's when you want to change gradually, a little by little by little. Yep. Well, Nigel, as always, it's been great chatting with you today. I appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. Enjoy it. Thanks, Max. If you like today's episode and want to hear more, please hit the subscribe button. Feel free to jump onto our Facebook page, Productive Producer. And if you really liked today's episode, share it as your story. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.